This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. On this week's episode, I'm going to be digging into the back-to-back numbers, which teams have had the worst back-to-back scheduling over the past decade, which teams have performed the best and the worst in those situations. Michael from a Clean Skate Podcast is going to join me on the Stat Chat. We're going to be talking about the Dallas Stars. This is Ice Analytics. Welcome to episode 16 of Ice Analytics. I am your host, Matthew Arp. Hope everybody's staying safe out there, doing their part to social distance and isolate themselves and all that jazz. I wish you all the best in these trying times. We are keeping things going on our end, providing you with content while you're quarantining and self-isolating and have nothing else better to do than listen to some hockey podcasts. So on this episode, I'm going to be getting into the back-to-back. On Number Crunch, I'm going to be looking at which teams have had the worst back-to-back scheduling and the most favorable back-to-back scheduling over the past decade, and how have teams performed in the back-to-back compared to how they perform with rest. On this week's Stat Chat, I'm going to be joined by Michael from a Clean Skate podcast. We're going to be talking about the Dallas Stars, a team that has not been very good in back-to-back type situations. He's going to be breaking down what the Dallas Stars have done poorly in the past and what they're doing in the future to remedy their back-to-back woes. On this edition of Number Crunch, I'm going to be diving into the back-to-back numbers and asking the following questions. Which teams have been most plagued by back-to-back games? What effects does playing on back-to-back have on your team's performance? And how much does it actually matter? Well, the back-to-back is a much maligned part of the game, in part because of the ridiculous stress it puts on your team. Just think about it. I mean, hockey is an extremely physical and rigorous sport, and playing consecutive nights takes a massive toll. And secondly, it is not uniformly distributed amongst all teams. Over the course of the past decade, the Buffalo Sabres have had 169 back-to-back games, while the Edmonton Oilers have only had 106. If we factor in the number of times a team played a rested team while tired, and the number of times that they played a tired team when they were rested, Buffalo has been the most disproportionately affected. Not only have they had the most back-to-back games in general, but they've had the worst differential of playing against rested teams on a back-to-back to playing back-to-back teams while they were rested. The Anaheim Ducks take the crown for most favorable scheduling over the past decade, playing almost 40 games more against tired teams while they were rested than playing against a rested team when the Ducks were tired. Obviously, this is a huge disadvantage for Buffalo, but they actually weren't the worst team in back-to-back situations. Drumroll, please. It was the Dallas Stars, a team that has only played 118 back-to-back games in the past decade, which is tied for the third fewest but they have performed the absolute worst of any team in the league. So let's put this into context a little bit. What effect does playing a back-to-back have on your team? Well, the average goals against rise from about 2.74 to 2.88 in back-to-back games. But for Dallas, it went from 2.5 goals against to 3.24. That is a massive increase 
between back-to-back games and their average with any rest. Average goals for typically fall from 2.8 to 2.6, but for Dallas, it went from 2.9 to 2.5, almost half a goal difference in goals for in back-to-backs as opposed to games when they had rest. So what about special teams? Well, the power play on average drops a full 2% for teams in back-to-back situations, whereas the PK only falls about one percentage. While the Dallas power play only fell a single point in back-to-back games compared to their average, the penalty kill dropped five percentage points in back-to-back situations. So this brings us to the million-dollar question, how much does a back-to-back actually matter? Well, league-wide, when accounting for strength of schedule, two additional back-to-back games in a season correspond with a reduction of about one additional standings point. It's not a huge deal, but it could be a difference maker if you play a lot more back-to-backs in a given season. Now, the general trend is that one to two days rest is optimal for winning. Four days rest or no days rest, a back-to-back, have about the same effect. Point percentage drops about 10% in back-to-back games when compared to one days or two days rest. Now, point percentage is calculated by dividing the number of points you earned from the total possible points you could earn. So for instance, if you played five games, your maximum points you could earn would be 10. If you won all five of them, you'd have a point percentage of 100%. You won all the points that were possible that you could win. But if you only won three of those five games, you would have a point percentage of 60%, collecting six points out of a possible 10 points. Now, not every team has been equally affected by the back-to-back. The teams with the largest gap between their rested point percentage, so one, two, three, or four days rest, and their back-to-back point percentage, number one is the Dallas Stars. There is a 23 percentage point drop when playing back-to-backs versus any time rested. Second is Vegas. And granted, we have a much smaller sample size, but they have a 17% drop in back-to-backs point percentage compared to rested. Tampa Bay has a 14% drop. Toronto has a 13% drop. And Winnipeg has about an 11% drop. Now, there are some very interesting anomalies here. While most teams perform worst with no rest or long rest, It usually takes the shape of a rolling hill up and down. You know, most teams' lowest point percentage is with no rest. And then there's a gradual increase with one day rest and two day rest. And then there's usually a slight drop off with three days rest and four days rest. But there's a few notable exceptions to this. The Blue Jackets have performed way better on three days rest than any other number of days rested. 69% point percentage or about 15% more point percentage than two days rest. Dallas outpaces those numbers even more, as I previously alluded to. They collect 77% of total points possible or about 8% better than their next highest. Detroit has an extremely weird inverted curve where one day rest and surprisingly four days rest are their best point percentages. There are a few teams, though, that there is no variation regardless of how long they rest, including back-to-backs. It hasn't affected their performance at all. The three teams that come to mind, Florida, Minnesota, and Montreal, have very little variance in their point percentages regardless of the amount of rest. 
but truly the team that is least affected by the number of days rest has been the San Jose Sharks, which only have a three percentage point variation in their point percentage between back-to-backs and four days off. It essentially means nothing to them, whether they play a back-to-back or whether they play a four days rest or anything in between. But here's the kicker. Two teams have actually performed better in back-to-back situations than any other situations, and that is Chicago Blackhawks and the New York Rangers. Chicago and back-to-backs have a 65% winning percentage compared to 62.5% with one-day rest and 60% on two-days rest, dropping to 43% with four-days rest. And the Rangers also have a 65% point percentage in back-to-back situations compared to 56 with one day's rest, 60 with two days rest, 58 with three days rest, and 39% on four days rest. So over the past decade, both Chicago and the Rangers have thrived in back-to-back situations. And while this should seem like it is more significant, honestly, the number of back-to-back games or back-to-back games against rested teams relative to games against teams coming off a back-to-back doesn't really matter enough on its own to credit or blame your team's performance. Just to add another layer of context to these numbers, I'm joined by Michael from a Clean Skate podcast to break down the Dallas Stars. He's going to give you his insights behind these numbers on the Stat Chat. On this edition of Stat Chat, I'm joined by Michael, host of a Clean Skate podcast covering the Dallas Stars. You can find the show at Clean Skate Pod. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's great to have you. I love to talk about Dallas Stars hockey. And the Dallas Stars entered the pause as the third seed in the Central Division. How would you assess their performance so far this season? It's been so-so. It's been a tale of two teams uh, throughout the, the entire season. Um, they'll, go, they'll have a stretch right at the beginning, at the opening of the season, uh, that was really poor. They were just not scoring goals and allowing a lot of really soft goals. And then, then they would go into a few-week stretches where the goalies were stopping everything and the offense was flowing fine. So it, it was a... It's one of those where we're in a good spot. Uh, I'm pleased to be third. You know, I might have liked to get a little higher, maybe at least second. But we're still in that fight. I mean, listen, there's still 13 games left as we're doing this right now. So if we play those 13 games, we might be able to make it. But so I've been, I'd say, if I were to give the season a grade, I'd give it like a a B plus. Okay. That's not bad. I mean, what what about compared to the expectations? I mean, is that what you expected this season or did you expect more? I really thought that it was going to be a little bit more of a battle between St. Louis and Dallas for that first spot. There are definitely some players and stuff that have underperformed uh, greatly, but then there's also been some nice surprises throughout the season. Uh, you see like like Dennis Gurionov and Rupe Hintz coming out of nowhere was has been pleasant, but you know, Tyler Sagan only having 50 points has been really bad. So there, there's been up. It's been a, it's a very up and up and down season. Now I know you had mentioned about the 12 games left in the regular season. Assuming we don't have a conclusion to the regular season and we just go into like a training camp and a playoff scenario, who knows? You know, this could be three months from now uh, that we're talking that this actually happens. The Stars would be matched up in the first round against the Avalanche, the two seed in the Central. And that's a tough draw, especially when you consider the extended break, because 
of injuries and the avalanche have had a lot of players that are that are going to be coming back in the next couple of months what would you say are the advantages and disadvantages of this break for the stars so i think that out of all the opponents we, we could have got i think that um obviously i'm just glad we're not playing st louis uh, i think i think the stars would give i think it'd be a really good get series between the stars and the abs but i think the the break um right go before the break happened the stars i think had lost four or five in a row and there was just a lack of offense i think the break gives people a little bit it's just a reset especially for a team that might have been you know everyone was gripping their sticks a little bit tight for those last couple of games before the break maybe they'll be able to come back from that break a little bit more relaxed a little less pressure off of them because they've had you know the time to spend time with their family which i think is sometimes uh like just the the mental side of it is is um overlooked or underrated to where do you when you think of like yeah, just, you know, be able to get away and hang out with like your wife and your kids for a few days could really just help your game. So I, I think that especially for like the leaders on the team, like Sagan and Ben that have really kind of taken a beating throughout, through the season uh, with just their disappointing performance, to say the least, that uh, a break could really help them just come back a little bit more rejuvenated to go. Have there been any big injuries for the Stars this season that, that this could, uh, could help? Klingberg has been... Um, on and off I don't know exactly how many games he's missed but he'll miss like a span of like four and then he'll come back for a few and then he would miss more I think he had a nagging I think it was like an upper body shoulder injury so um listen the 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 rest will help anyone that's you know bruised or banged up I don't think you really can even call that an advantage for anyone I mean like you said the avalanche would be getting players back the rest will let everyone recover and so I think everyone else will also be able to come in rested I uh, starting the playoffs coming straight out of like a pause in the season will be very interesting to see um, the energy. I've, I wonder if it will, will come back almost like the beginning of the season. It's sort of like everyone's like really high intensity, but the, their game plays actually maybe a little sloppier. Ah, that's, that's a good point. So if we shift gears a bit here to the topic of this week's pod and looking at the back-to-back, you would expect teams to perform worse without any day's rest playing a back-to-back, but the Stars have been really bad the past decade, to put it mildly, in back-to-back games. And I went through these numbers in the previous segment, and, and they're, it's so much different when they're playing in a back-to-back game than with any day's rest. Why do you think the Stars' performance has been so negatively affected by back-to-backs over the past decade? So I will say that, especially this season, um, their back-to-back performance has been really good the last couple of seasons, comparatively. Uh, I think... The, the difficulty for back-to-backs before, uh, we didn't have that good of a goalie tandem. So that really hurts because um, you're, you're putting your backup goalie in. Uh, and to be honest, the Stars haven't had great goalies for the last, up until these last few seasons um, before that. Like, Yuri Lettinen was uh, not a great goalie. I don't remember, like, who were our backup? It, it, it was like Niemi for a while. Like, that's not very good. So uh, that, that's a big reason and then we had to you know every time you play a back-to-back you got to put your spare in so like we, you can be running your optimal defense but then maybe you know you play a game before and now all of a sudden here now we got to put in a roman Polak. and anytime you have roman Polak skating on your defense it, your defense is worse so uh that definitely doesn't help the stars no that does make a lot of sense and you're absolutely right i mean last year they they regressed 
pretty badly, and, and which was surprising because thought they had pretty solid a pretty solid tandem tandem last year. But yeah, two three years ago and this year they've dramatically improved. And is this the uh, the formula going forward? Is just getting a solid backup, and and is that gonna uh, fix some of their woes? Uh, well, I think I mean it. it you can't understate the importance that the our two goalies have on the team our team is built throughout defense and not letting the other team score uh so the fact that uh you know we can have ben bishop play 55 games and then hudobin play the rest and both of them are going to put over a 920 save percentage up uh means that no matter who you have in net your goal is gonna, your goal is going to be fantastic so if your goal is fantastic every night even in back-to-backs you can have and to be honest, uh, this season that I've noticed is normally I've seen a lot of teams, you start your starter the first night and then your backup the second night Se- normally seems to be the way that people do it. But this season, the stars, um, I think all except for one time have started Hudobin first and Bishop on the second night. And it's actually worked out pretty well. Interesting. Why do you think that they do that that way? I, I don't know. I think, um, I think it, the back-to-backs seem to be near any, near the start of road trips. So I think they like to have Bishop – they'll have Hudobin play the first game on the road trip, and then Bishop will play the last two games on the road trip, the middle game and his first game being that second half of that back-to-back. Huh. All right. I like that. So I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, and but I'm curious – what is the long-term, is there a long-term succession plan for that backup spot? Is there somebody in the minors that, that may be getting groomed right now to fill that void? And what does the contract situations look like for Bishop and Hudobin? Is that is this something you have to worry about? So we have Ben Bishop signed for four more years. We have him signed through 2023-24 at uh, 4.9. It's a good deal. Yeah, yes, very good deal. Um, However, he does get, he is injury prone and you can't start him as often, but with Hudobin, that helps a lot. The big thing is Hudobin is a UFA at the end of this season. So Hudobin is going to get a big payday because every team, I think, even though he's 33, is going to be looking at Hudobin for, even if it's like a three-year deal, um, Hudobin's probably looking at getting like, you know, in the three or $4 million, which is pricey for a backup. But if you look at his numbers, Really, everywhere he's played, like he played well uh, in Boston for a while. Um, there's going to be a lot of teams knocking at Hudobin's door. And so I, I hope that these stars re-sign him. And Bishop and Hudobin like, have a really, really like I – know, I know everyone says like, oh, yeah, like me and my backup are close. But Bishop and Hudobin are like just good friends. Like they laugh and, and they like make jokes and stuff like from the bench and stuff. It, so I, I hope the stars re-sign him, but it's definitely going to be at a little bit pricier than your average backup. Does your salary cap allow for like three-ish million for a backup or are they going to be tight next year? Corey Perry's signed a one-year deal. So that's 1.5 if you, uh, back if you don't decide to sign him. Um, Matias. Yes, Yanmark is a UFA at the end of this year. I, the Stars like him. He's played decent. He's 2.3, so I don't know if you, if you re-sign him. Um, Roman Polak and Andre Sekera are both UFAs at the end of this season, so that's uh, over $3 million back. So you probably could squeeze him in there, but that's really going to be um, – the only move you're they'd be able to make this summer what's the uh what's the backup to the backup plan is there is there somebody in the minors that you know they're, they're grooming for that position or would you just be looking on the free agent market uh we have a we have a couple of goalies in, in the minors that are that are relatively young um i our 
starter right now is 24. It's Landon Bow. But we have um, two guys that just started their ELC. We've got Colton Point, who is supposedly pretty decent, and Jake Ottinger, who I actually think started one game this season. or No, didn't start one game. I think he, he, st- he played pretty well in the preseason, and he, like, backed up. Uh, I think Bishop or Hudobin a couple games this season. And, I mean, Colton Point's 22, Ottinger's 21. So goalies are, uh, you know, a flash. Like, you're rolling the dice with goalies. So who knows? I hope so. But nothing in – like, I don't think Ottinger would be ready to step in next season, even as a backup, probably. So – not not anything in the near future no it was it's been noticeably different since Hudobin has stepped in in that backup role their their performance in back-to-back situations has gotten significantly better yeah yeah do you have any other final thoughts on goaltending backups uh scheduling anything like that I think that people should watch out for the the tandem goalies I think that's the way of the future uh and that's really I think that Really right now, maybe only like five or six teams have a, you know, the, uh, the near to a close split. But I bet as we get going here, we're going to see teams looking for uh, the, the 1A, 1B split now. So it'll be a lot of like 4 million goalie, 4 million goalie, and less 6 million goalie, 2 million goalie. Well, if you talk to Florida – or whoever pays uh, Holpe after this offseason, I'm sure that they would agree with you because when you're dumping you know, eight, nine, ten million dollars into one player, uh, that's that's not a lot of wiggle room there. Yeah, especially the goalies that are that are like so up and down. Like I can get like listen, paying playing a forward that that's going to score 40, 50 goals for ten million dollars, like that's worth it. Even if you know, like there's still injuries, but to he, you can put someone to fill that spot, but if your 10 million goalie gets hurt, you have no one to replace that. Exactly. And and goalie, we know goalies are voodoo, right? I mean, I feel yeah. like even the best ones, uh, it, it's hard to keep that keep that up. Yeah, yeah. So then my only other thing is I hope hockey comes back. That's it. Just please, please come back. <laughs> As you were saying before, you can only take so much NHL 20, right? It's It's very true. It's very true. All right. Well, before I wrap this up, I want to give you the floor as I do with all my guests to plug any projects you're working on or any shout outs you may have. Okay. So um, as uh, you said at the beginning, uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Clean Skate Pod. That's the first thing, but more of a network wide thing. uh, We are putting together a gaming channel. Um, We're going to be playing there. I think we have a PS4 team and an Xbox One team to play NHL the EASHL um, and NHL. I'm actually the goalie, so uh, watch out for that. Um, that's going to be on YouTube, uh, and the links will be on Twitter as well. So if you follow this podcast on Twitter or you follow mine, then you will hear about it. Hey, that sounds pretty fun. I, I believe we're calling it the, uh, the THPN uh, goon, li- goon Squad or Goon Line Gaming Channel or something like that. Love it. Yeah, so that, that's it, though. So uh, if, if – you're missing out on hockey and you want to watch, you know, five people fumble around on ice and some people score 10 goals on me during a game. Uh, you should check it out. Hey, I heard you're supposed to be pretty good at this. Listen, I, I'm actually, all right. All right. So here's what's happened. So I'm actually pretty good. All right. Uh, not to toot, not to toot my own horn. I, I'm pretty decent at it. Okay. We played one game and uh, we got obliterated. We did it. We were, we had like a CPU center and kept taking penalties so I just got absolutely shelled. But listen, 
if the team in front of me plays well, I'll play well, okay? I was just going to say, <laughs> you, should, you should be throwing your defenseman under the bus for that one. Ah, see, I don't, I see, but that's the problem. As soon as that happens, then they're going to start taking slap shots on me during the game. And <laughs> I don't feel like saving shots for my own teammates. Uh, it, it sounds like a system and a coaching problem. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to, uh, I'll talk to coach after the game. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for, uh, for coming on the show. And uh, I wish you and the, the Dallas Stars the best of luck the rest of the season. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for having me. All right, let's bring this thing up to date and look at this season. How are teams doing in the back-to-back as of the pause? Well, this year, the teams with the most back-to-back so far in this season, if it doesn't continue, Chicago, New Jersey, and Pittsburgh. Teams with the least, the Islanders, Nashville, Minnesota, and Edmonton. And speaking of Edmonton, the Oilers are posting an 87% point percentage in the back-to-back with Vegas, the Islanders, and Tampa Bay right behind them. So two of the the four teams that have had the least number of back-to-backs, Edmonton and the Islanders, are both two of the best teams at getting points in the back-to-back situation. Coincidence? I don't know. Detroit, on the other hand, has two total points in 13 back-to-back games. That's, I I don't even know what to say. They're getting 7% of all total possible points in back-to-back games. I know this Detroit team has been bad, but oh my God, two points and 13 games in a back-to-back. All right, well, maybe that's not a fair way of assessing this because we need to look at how teams are doing in the back-to-back compared to how they're doing in any type of rest situation. Detroit's just been bad all around, so we'd expect them to also be bad in the back-to-back. So not very surprising that Detroit is the worst team when you look at point percentage in the back-to-back relative to any day's rest. Detroit is accumulating 38% less total possible points when they have no rest compared to when they have any rest. But the surprising team is that there's another team that is just a fraction of a percent behind them, also getting 38% less possible points on no rest, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, we know their backup goaltending situation hasn't been this good this year, but oh my God. And the third worst team without rest, Boston Bruins. I mean, even though Halak and Rask are a good tandem, there's a significant drop-off between their back-to-back performance and their performance with any rest. Now, this is a little bit misleading because Boston still collects 50% of all potential points with no rest compared to... Detroit's 7%. So even though Boston is in the third position of the worst of point percentage between rest and no rest, this has more to do with how dominant the Bruins have been with any sort of rest and less of an indictment of how bad they are without rest, right? I mean, the Bruins are collecting 75% of all possible points with any rest. That's insane. So of course, 50% is going to look like It's a big drop-off. So I don't think you can put them in the same category as Detroit. But nonetheless interesting that the Bruins' performances in a back-to-back situation are noticeably worse or they're just so much better with rest than the rest of the league. All right. Well, that's all I got for this episode. All this talk about points has got me thinking about the loser point and how the league has changed awarding its standing points over the years. I'm going to cover that next week. I'm going to be joined by Shane Ryan 
from a Frozen Biscuit podcast. We're going to talk about some alternatives that the league could use to distribute their their points in the standings. Winner take all? Get rid of the loser point? I don't know. Tune in next week to find out more. And remember, folks, drink and think responsibly. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Ice Analytics, your source for NHL stats and analysis hosted by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. You can find me on Twitter at Ice Analytics, and you can find the show notes at www.statsenforcer.com. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to our feed and leave us a review.